Lord God, I thank you for uh, the friends on my screen this afternoon and for this technology that allows us to be connected. Lord, I just pray for your, um, your presence with us this afternoon as we engage in these stories from the center. And we thank you, Lord, for your, your willingness to bring um, Carl and Rob to us today and just to offer um, them a space to share their stories and to help us all to listen um, and to just be engaged and to learn a little bit more about each other as we share this time together today. Um, thank you for blessing us with this collaborative effort of um, the good folks here in the state of North Carolina. And we pray for our listeners, Lord, that they might, um, they might learn and grow and, and, and be open um, to new understandings of justice, freedom, and peace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Great, great. Friends, welcome from downtown Fayetteville. This is uh, David Blackman in Stories from the Center, and I'm grateful for my colleagues today, uh, Lisa Craver and Justin Barrier, who are here with us today and our special guests. Uh, a few words about our podcast. We believe a podcast can facilitate helpful and holy conversation concerning justice, freedom, and peace. These are real concerns for the Fayetteville community, especially as our city continues to navigate our history, our present realities, and our future possibilities. Participants will reflect on what justice means, the connection freedom has within our community as we are uniquely positioned to our neighbors at Fort Bragg, and the desire for people to live together in peace. And through seeking stories of our people, we will find and celebrate the places where justice, freedom, and peace intersect. And we hope to inspire listeners to practice the same. Our key question that we ask each podcast is when telling your story, how have justice, freedom, and peace impacted your life? Friends, today we welcome Carl Merritt and Rob James to the podcast. Carl earned a BA degree in business and administration from Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, and later a Master of Divinity at Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, DC. Friends, after spending 21 and a half years serving as a Supply Corps officer in the US Navy, Carl answered the call to ministry and served as assistant pastor and eventually senior pastor of Mount Olive Baptist Church in Stafford, Virginia. Married to his wife, Denise, for 29 years. He's a proud father and grandfather. And her, his wife, Denise, was a chaplain with the U.S. Army. And upon their eventual relocation of Fayetteville, Carl spent some time in the real estate industry and then volunteered from 2009 to 2015 with Great Oak Youth Development Centers, Inc., which he co-founded with Bobby Washington and Dr. Katrina Murphy, with a mission to build foundations among youth so they will be able to achieve and succeed in life. Friends, there's going to be a link in the podcast information for Carl's book, From the Rough Side of the Mountain, Reflections of a Country Preacher, which um, is a well-known well, well -known book in this community, and certainly we are grateful for Carl and having that published and being the author. Friends, Rob James, since 2016, he's been serving as the senior pastor at First Baptist Church on Anderson Street in downtown Fayetteville. He's originally from a small town about an hour from Atlanta, Georgia. I like that connection to Georgia. Um, Carl actually attends the church with, with Rob, and we're grateful for that connection. Um, Rob is a graduate from Wake Forest University and received his ministerial training at Yale Divinity School and has served an associate pastor in Mystic, Connecticut, and the town of Wake Forest, North Carolina. Rob is a gifted preacher with a desire to engage with all throughout the community. He serves as a board member with the Fayetteville-Cumberland County Continuum of Care on Homelessness. He's an artist, a creative artist, um, my best friend artist, I might add, just a good guy that comes around <laughs> and helps me learn a lot about um, creative creativity. 
He has a unique way of blending his creativity within his ministry. He's been married to Leona for 10 plus years, the proud father of two daughters. And I find him to always um, eager to share a listening ear and a prayer for anybody who asks and is willing to spend some time. Carl, Rob, it's great to welcome you both to the podcast. Would love to get started and just um, wanna open it up for you to just share a, you know, a few words of introduction, maybe add to that bio or criticize the bio that I, I tried to pull together <laughs> for you guys. Welcome guys, please share. Carl, how about you say hello first? Well, hello. And your Google search is accurate. I'm pleasantly surprised, <laughs> not because of you, but because of Google. So I have, I have absolutely nothing to add to it aside from emphasizing that I am a member of Rob James Church at First Baptist and just happy to be there and more than happy to have this time with him and with the rest of you. Awesome. Carl, thank you so much. We're grateful for your presence today. And thanks for the shout out to the positive of Google. <laughs> yeah. And I will add, this is Rob James, I will add that I am the proud father of two daughters, and I have one more child on the way right now that will be arriving at the end of March, somewhere around Easter, because I can only have children on high holidays. So, I love I'm it. very Rob. excited about that. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on that. We are happy for you, brother, and happy for your family. Um, friends, let's get started if we could. Carl, I first met you when um, I was interested in learning more about the community garden. And at that time, you were um, just a, you were the guy that was in the know and was really able to help me learn about um, the community garden and more about Fayetteville. You caught my heart with your passion um, and for just your, your ideal of bringing folks together. And I just found you to be a really engaging soul as you offered helpful insights to me as a pastor here in this community about Fayetteville in this community. And I'd love to just, I guess, maybe ask you if you could start out with maybe a story about justice, because I felt like that day and that engagement, there was a lot of, maybe it was inherent and maybe it was um, not said out loud, but I felt like that was a justice-focused conversation we were having about the community garden and what it meant to our area. But we'd love to just open up the door and say, Carl, can you share with us a story about justice and, and what that means to you? Does it have to be a story from the recent past? Or no, sir. You can, you can share a story from wherever your heart is leading you. Well, I was born in Bainbridge, Georgia, small town in southwest Georgia. Lived there with my grandmother until I was eight years old and then moved to Camilla, Georgia with my mother and father. I must have been maybe 16 years old in Camilla. Now be reminded, this would have been probably 1963, middle of the civil rights movement, midst of segregation in that area. So I lived on the all black side of town, went to an all black school all the way through 12th grade. Wow. So that's, uh, that's the setting. white deputy sheriff in his patrol car drives into our yard, comes in, explains to my father he needs to take me downtown to meet with the sheriff. Also be reminded that 
in that time, there were no white officers, police officers, law enforcement officers in Camilla. So I get in the deputy's car. My father gets in his car and follows us downtown to the courthouse. I go in. My father comes in to meet with the sheriff. The sheriff explains that this fellow who I knew, we were classmates, that he had forged a check and in endorsing it, in addition to putting his name on the back, he put my name on it. Ooh. So here is this white sheriff looking at me and explaining that they think I was involved. So he, he says to me, sign your name. I signed my name. He looked at it, looked at the signature on the back of the check and said, yeah, that's a match. Knowing that I had not done it, I said to him, have this fella sign my name. He signed it. And this white sheriff looked at the two signatures and said to me, yeah, you're right. He, he wrote your name. Exact match. You're free to go. What I emphasize is 1963-64, all the conditions I just laid out. That white sheriff spoke to me, a teenager, in a respectful fashion, never used any derogatory language to me or to my father, treated us fairly. I got in my father's car. We went home. That was the end of it. So what I submit is that even in that time, I got justice. And that's what justice, in my estimation, should look like. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the question is, how do we best get to it? You didn't ask me to answer that, so I won't. I'm finished. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my opening story then, yes. I, I love it. I Carl, I think oftentimes, you know, that when we, when we talk about justice and when we, we, we engage in that conversation, whether it be, um, you know, intimately with folks like we're doing today or, or in a more public kind of fashion or in the newspapers and, or, the, or the news, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of definitions of justice. But I, I just appreciate your story because I think what your story for me reminded me, you know, justice is what is right. And, and I think that in the, in, the, in the way that you describe that, you know, the right thing was done. Um, there was justice because um, the folks that were involved um, in, that, in that story that you described happened. It was real for you, Carl. Um, the, the sheriff chose the right, you know, and, and I just trust and, and pray that, that there are plenty of sheriffs like that um, in this great nation and, and plenty of great people that do that on a regular basis that they just live justice because that's a part of their DNA and that's a part of who they are. And I just appreciate you sharing that to remind us, Carl, that um, there are good people out there that are doing the right thing and are, are practicing justice um, all around us every day. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, Carl, thanks for that opening mm -hmm. story for us and helping us to, to enter in that justice. Let's go to um, Rob, if you could, Rob, to sort of just talk about justice from your perspective, your experiences, um, a story from your life that would help us um, consider justice. I think growing up, I had a false perception or maybe definition is a better word of what justice is. And I think uh, most of us, when we typically think of justice, we think of justice as something that's fair, that fairness is justice. And as I have, have grown and, and studied, I, I lean more towards what you said, that there's, there's a sense of righteousness, of, of rightness, that is a part of justice that is outside of fairness. As a Christian minister, I have to, I have to look at justice a little bit differently because uh, I believe in, that God is just. I believe in God and I believe that God is just. But a lot of the things that God does that are the most beneficial to, to me uh, aren't fair, uh, but they are, they are right and they are just. Uh, for example, God forgives me of my, my sin. Uh, that's not fair. I, don't, I didn't earn that. But there's a level of justice in there that's really hard to put my finger on. Uh, and I think that when we pigeonhole justice to just right and wrong, yes and no, that we often miss that piece of what you called doing the right thing, of rightness. Um, I am reminded, uh, my, my whole world sort of expanded when I was a college student. Uh, I was a high school student and a college student at the same time because uh, I went to the only high school in the county and the only way I could get into an out-of-state college like Wake Forest was to take classes at the University of Georgia so that I could prove to Wake Forest that I could do the work. And so I, I was a secret high school student in honors classes at the University of Georgia. And I didn't want the professors to tell the cl my classmates. I didn't want to be treated differently. Wow. But I remember reading for the first time uh, Plato. Uh, this is Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, that kind of philosophy. He wrote an entire book where he's trying to define justice. And he gets so off track because he, it, it, there's so many nuances that at the end of the book, he's like, I didn't really define justice. I apologize. Maybe you need to do what is right for you. Maybe that's the best I can offer. And I think he was on to something there. Sure. But it does show that uh, there's a lot more to it than just right and wrong. Mm -hmm. So a lot of gray then, huh, Rob? And that's the, that's the challenge, I think, for, for many of us, and myself included, that I, I want it to be cut and dry like I want it to be easy for me to just follow the rules and to know what's to, to know what the right thing is to do and and I I have found in my my story my ministry that there's just a lot of gray sometimes that comes with justice and doing what's right and and that's um that's tricky that's tricky that's um, something I I continue to grapple with and and helpful to have you all to grapple with me on that Lisa Justin anything to add to this this thought about justice stories of justice well um, it, I was listening to Carl, actually, and um, thinking about my own experiences. Um, I was very young um, when the, all of the um, racial diversity started coming up in the early 60s. And um, I can remember growing up with, um, there was a handful of 
of African-American students in my school, in elementary school, and we went all the way to high school together. Um, and so, I mean, and we were all treated the same. And so the, the um, I guess the hard part for me is to see how we all work together and we're essentially the same working together. Um, and then to see the injustice that I saw on the television um, of how um, people were treated and knowing that that wasn't, that wasn't overt in my background and growing up. I mean, we, we grew up as brothers and sisters and didn't think an, a second thing about it and really didn't think about that until got into my later high school years that um, there really was that injustice there. So I appreciate Carl's description and that I'm very um, happy that he was treated with respect because I kept waiting for that other shoe to fall mm -hmm. in, in your story, Carl, but um, that's wonderful. Um, so it's hard when we're in our little microcosm of growing up um, and you're working together and you're doing the same things and then to see on the brighter, broader world spectrum how how awful people can be, I guess is the way I want to say it. Sure. Lisa, thank you for that, for sure. Justin? So, um, and I apologize if you hear something kind of in the background. I've got my space heater going because I'm freezing in here, if I'm honest. You're too uh, young for that. Well, well it, <laughs> so I'm not going to say anything on a podcast because That's of right. I'm sorry. Anyway. I apologize. <laughs> I don't want OSHA involved. This episode is going to be called OSHA. Please don't come visit Hay Street. Um, so I was thinking about just listening to both of those stories. I was reminded of um, Dr. Dennis Prager. And I'm not sure if either of you listen to or anybody here listens to Dr. Dennis Prager. But um, and there are different sides of the spectrum that that think he's great. There's some that think he's terrible. But he made a comment once that I was when I was listening to a podcast and he said, we're living in the age of cut flower ethics. And when I heard him say that, he unpacked it this way. He said, in order for plants to grow, they have to be planted in good nutrient rich soil. And he said, and if you look at that soil as um, God given morality, God given ethics, God given um, you know, rationale, as it were, then the plants that grow out of that have this moral soil that even if they are planted somewhere that's not quite as nutrient rich, as long as they have that, that moral soil, then even when they're cut, they'll still maintain that wherever they are. But as you know, if you take a bouquet of flowers and you put it into a vase, eventually those flowers wilt and die because they don't have that nutrient rich soil that they were planted in. So the idea of justice, when we talk about um, it being a concept of moral righteousness, and it's, it's typically based in ethics, it's based in um, rationality, law, natural law, you know, those sorts of concepts. If we're living in an age of cut flower ethics, then I think the idea of justice, just from listening to the, the stories that we've heard so far, is starting to become, you know, well, what's our own definition of justice, instead of what the actual moral soil leads into. And so I was thinking about Carl, your story in particular, when you were talking about the way that you were treated fairly, you know, often when we hear those stories about, you know, an interaction between an African American and a white cop in the 60s, it's normally not something where the African American is typically treated with respect. 
and that's the you know i think lisa said she was waiting for the other shoe to drop but all i could think of was i wonder where that officer was planted mm -hmm. and so that's what was rolling around in my head was i heard dennis prager saying um the moral soil that nutrient-rich soil so that's that's my comment for now for so far thank you for that justin you know what are we rooted in you know how are we fed what are we rooted in and um and how is that soil being cultivated? You know, that we're, that's a part of our stories um, every day in our life stories for sure. Um, Carl, um, Rob, thanks for helping us think about that a little bit. Let me shift to, to freedom. You know, I, I have um, found, this is um, eight years now in Fayetteville and I remember the first time when I came to Fayetteville, one of the, um, one of the hosts here at Hay Street um, was really, really excited about being an all-American city. And I've never, I've never forgotten that and the joy that, uh, that this person had in just talking about um, what this city was about and its connection to Fort Bragg and, and the U.S. Army and the military and, and just the, the, the all-American feel of Fayetteville. And freedom is certainly something that we hear a lot of as, as a part of this community. I would love to hear um, from you, um, you all. We'll start with Rob this time. If you could start us off, Rob, just a thought about freedom and maybe a story about freedom and what freedom means to you in your life. Well, it's hard for me when I think about freedom to not think about, uh, I'm a Baptist and we are rooted. You talk about where we're rooted. Baptists are rooted in this concept of soul freedom. Uh, soul liberty is the word that we, we toss around and I'll define it because, you know, we throw it around as if everybody knows it. And I think a lot of our congregation may not eat either, but uh, soul freedom is this concept that God can speak to me and does, and God can speak to you and does. And what God is calling you to do and God is calling me to do may not be the same thing, but one is not better than the other. And we are free to listen to God differently. And in a sense, a Baptist church is a whole room full of people who are all listening to God, speaking to them directly and calling them to different ministries directly with their soul freedom and uh and we're all supposed to worship together <laughs> and and that can be difficult this is why baptist churches often split and why last time i checked there are 169 registered kinds of baptist churches just in america because we all have this individual freedom and so when i think about that this concept of soul freedom uh, it helped, It also makes me realize that there's a double edge to that. And I think as a, this is why it's important for Baptists, if we truly believe in soul freedom, for us to worship together, because it's going to take all of us to make sure that we don't go off the rails with our soul freedom. That uh, you're free, but you don't want your freedom to lead you into to believing something awful. And I almost... Well, I, I can't say I almost didn't go into ministry. I wasn't planning to go into ministry at all. And I'll tell you why, and it has to do with somebody's soul freedom. It's the, it's the, the double edge to this. So I get baptized in a small town of 225 people in the middle of nowhere in Georgia. And I'm having this religious experience. And I believe that I'm closer to God. In Baptist church, you, you get baptized when you're ready. Uh, that's why Baptist, baptism's in our name. And we're really excited about this. And so I get baptized and 
not two days, three days after I get baptized, somebody from my church takes me aside and is like, okay, now that you're in the club, like <laughs> they, they sort of talked about it that way. Now that you're a part of this, let me tell you who God hates. And they made a list of all these different people that they believe through their soul freedom that God hated. It really took me aback as a 13 year old. It made me think about God in a different way. And all at once I said, well, that's not what I signed up for. Like that wasn't why I got dumped to, to choose who to hate. And that list included uh, all of the, the folks that you can imagine. I mean, everything from anybody of a different religion to a different denomination, uh, to a different race, all of them were on the list of the people that God hated according to one of my uh, fellow church members. And so I said, well, if this is who God is and this is what God's about, then I'm out. I don't want anything to do with that. And so I spent years and years trying to help people than what I thought, uh, trying to help people be free of that. I thought religion was that. It was pigeonholing people into finding a way to group themselves and, and hate more effectively. Mm. And that's what I thought religion was mm -hmm. for the longest time. And it wasn't until years later when I get introduced to, uh, when I start reading the Bible actually for real and nothing Jesus says lines up with what that man told me. And it made me wonder if we're reading the same book. And therein lies sort of the double edge with soul freedom. Uh, if we are left to our own devices to read that same book, we can go off on totally different ends of that spectrum. We need one another to be able to, to help us not use our freedom to, to do something terrible. And I don't believe that God would have let me continue off of that path. Uh, God had something he needed me to do, um, but it's, uh, it's definitely a big part of my, my upbringing and my, my story of my calling that mm -hmm. begins with that double edge. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. Rob, is, it, is, it, is this a fair statement as, um, I appreciate you sharing that, and to help us to see Mm -hmm. um, the struggles within the church today, you know, of, of folks who have those freedoms and how they interpret and how they believe God believes. Is, it, is, this, tr is this a true statement that, that with freedom, there's accountability, we hope. With freedom, there's often liability. And with freedom, there's a responsibility. I mean, we, we've heard that term certainly before. I heard it a lot growing up, you know, listen, you're going to have some freedoms, but there's a responsibility with that freedom. But mm -hmm. I, I guess for me to hear your story, there's a liability there as well with um, the ways that freedoms are used and the impressions that um, um, another church member has on a 13-year-old child, um, different, dif different impression upon you than the next 13-year-old child who may not have had the same response that you had, Rob. And I think that that's the struggle with our freedoms today. Um, mm -hmm. How do we live in community with those freedoms that we're not, um, we're not hurting, we're not hating, you know, we're not, we're not, um, we're not disrespecting the soil of which we've all been growing up in to go back to that, that image, but the how to live within that freedom together um, in holy and, and sacred and, and safe ways. I think that's a, 
that's what we hope that this podcast might indeed help people talk more about those things that we can learn from each other about those, um, those freedoms. Yeah. Rob, I think, I think we need each other. I think we need each other um, to help realize that just because you are free to do something doesn't always mean you should. Mm. Yeah. Well said, Justin, please. So I just, you know, I was just thinking about when um, Paul, when he was talking about, we've been given grace, we've been given freedom. And because, you know, we have this grace, does that mean that we can just keep on sinning freely? Does this mean that we can just keep on doing whatever we want to? And correct me if I'm wrong, but in Greek, he says, which is, may it never be. Right. Because he, he recognizes that there is a responsibility there. And um, I was just, Rob, I, I need to sit down with you and actually just talk with you sometime because I think we have very similar experiences. In high school, I had an opportunity to hang out with a lot of my Christian friends. Now, granted, I was homeschooled up until high school. So I went to a public high school and that's kind of, it was a culture shock for me really because I didn't realize that there were pockets of people that just wanted to hang out with those pockets of people. And I'm going around like, hey, will you be my friend to everybody? Like, you know, I'm a little puppy or something. Um, but I realized very quickly that there was a, a huge hypocrisy in the Christian community. And I just decided, I don't want to be a part of that. And I, even though I wasn't, I started calling myself um, a Messianic Jew because I didn't want to be considered like a Christian. And so I was just like, I, even to the point that on my class ring, I have a Star of David instead of the whole like Bible and cross that all the other Christian friends got because I didn't want to be associated with that group forward to college. Um, I just gave up religion altogether, started studying Middle Eastern religions because I knew that there had to be something, but I didn't know, I didn't think it was Christians because all that religious group, all that religious talk, it's just garbage. And then as I continued to study, I went, well, Christianity is the only thing that makes sense because it's the only thing, the only organized train of thought regarding God that doesn't require me to be good enough. Um, and there's no way that I can be good enough because I know me because I live with me every day. And there was an immense weight lifted off of my shoulders from that. But it was, it was a real roundabout way because a lot of church leaders that I looked up to, I felt like had failed me. And it was just, it was a, a very eye-opening experience that, um, yeah. So at, at some point, I really want to sit down with you and just say you know hey can you can you tell me your entire story uh because i'd love to hear it from beginning to end justin a great a great reminder that we're you know we're searching and and no matter what part of the life story we're in i hope that we keep searching um for those truths mm -hmm. um whether they be freedom whether they be justice um or whether they be peace i think this is a, another place for us to try to be engaged in that with each other to to learn and be respectful of that lisa anything to add um, to this idea, these stories of freedom. I keyed in on Rob's statement about not using our freedom to do something terrible. I think that um, um, we often find folks who do things in the name of their uh, religious freedoms that are not positive. And I think yeah. it, it's interesting that this person started in on you as a young teenager um, in trying to, to get you to come to the same understanding that he was espousing. And um, I think that when you're such a bone at a vulnerable age on top of that and a seeking age on top of that. So um, 
uh, I that just struck with me in terms of um, that's a good statement. We should think sure. about that when we when we're deciding something to do. Just because I have the freedom to do this, is it the right thing to do? Um, yeah. yeah, great, great point, Lisa. Carl, I, I'm I'm eager to hear your thoughts about freedom. Um, given you have been um, you have been one that has in in my mind, in my opinion, for this community, you are um, a great speaker of truth for us. And I, I, um, I find that I am drawn to your columns that you write um, for the community and you help me to think differently. You help me to see differently. And I, I would love to hear your just thoughts about, about freedom, Carl, and how, you know, I think that part of your story as, um, as a veteran, um, you, you, may be, you may be able to help me see a new, another way to look at freedoms today and, and how, how you share that um, from your heart. I'm, I'm eager to hear that as you engage with this, this idea of freedom. I honestly don't know where to start in answering the question. I understand freedom to be my right to say what I want, do what I want, as long as what I do does not infringe on those same rights for other people. Big picture. So with that understanding, I'll say something that will probably shock you. I think I had greater freedom in the 60s in South Georgia than I have now. I can believe that. You, you talk about my writing. You would be, maybe not. You might be amazed at the feedback I get. And it's because I'm conservative in my views. I love America. I make no bones about it. I love God. I struggle to hear from God and do what he calls me to. I am an active registered Republican. On and on the list goes of what a black man in America is not supposed to be definitely should not say, not even think. So when it comes to this matter of freedom in our time, again, I say, I think we might be retrogressing for some groups. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much where I am. And from the military standpoint, 21 and a half years, good bit of that time on ships, away from my family. I had an unaccompanied tour in the south of Iran on the Persian Gulf for a full year. I got to see what poverty really looks like. I know there's poverty in America, don't misunderstand me. Mm -hmm. And right out of South Georgia, I got to see a good bit of the rest of the world. So I know what's out there. Consequently, I know how great this country is and how despite my blackness, despite my being male, I have had a pretty good life. Sure. We still have our problems, all of that. But bottom line is, 
I think that in this time of supposed great enlightenment and progress, we're losing ground mm. when it comes to freedom and ensuring it for all people. Last thought on that, my point is one that I'm, I'm working on a column that basically says, if there is a group in this country that is privileged now, it's black America. You process that, mm. deal with that thought. Carl, as we as we consider the the um, your your earlier remark about how we may are we going backwards? Are we, you know, are we returning to a place where we were before? You know, our our our, our country is is really young when we compare it to a lot of other countries in the world, and and I I was reminded that um, I don't remember where I read this or or heard this, but I was reminded that you know we're still learning. Um, we're still we're still trying to understand this uh, this ideal of democracy and um, and what freedom is to look like and and I have found of late I was challenged to um to to read um, a, a, an author in a book that I probably wouldn't have selected for myself but after engaging in that time I have in this season right now especially given um, the struggles that many groups are having with each other to listen, um, to understand, to engage in, in healthy dialogue. I've been trying to make sure that my authors are diverse and, and, and I'm hearing from, if you will, both sides. And as I seek to, as I seek to find or, or seek that both sides, I, I, I wonder what's going to happen to me. <laughs> and I wonder what, what, what it is that is being um, cultivated within me as we can we keep this soil thing going on today that I hope that with those different voices that that my voice can be a voice of um, of peace of, of a hopefulness in the future Carl if you will um, but but not to um not to give up on on what what I hope that we can continue to seek in in respecting and honoring the freedoms of one another with the understanding that we're in a community. And, and I, I wanna be a part of a community that is not um, fractured, that's not divided, but that, that, is, um, that is working hard to try to figure out how to be more, more we um, than just me. And, and I, I, um, I, don't, I, I want you to write that column, and I know you will, Carl. You don't need my permission to write that column because you will write that column. <laughs> but I, but I, I think that your voice matters to us as a community right now because your voice is one that does inspire us to have a, a response. It inspires us to think differently. No, we're not always going to agree together, but Carl, that's never stopped you. Then I think that's what more of our communities need is folks like yourself and others to speak that truth from your heart because you're you're inspiring us and you're and you're helping us to think a little bit broader so uh, i hope that i hope that that's um an affirmation for you carl and for all folks who listen out there that may be wanting to say something well well maybe you can say it and maybe you should say it to help bring light to you know a, a passion within your heart that can help move this conversation and move this needle a little bit more to help us as a community because that's that's ultimately who we are we're a community I appreciate your comment, and it is encouraging. 
And you're absolutely right. At this point in my life, I believe I'm writing what God would have me write, mm -hmm. and not to put it off on God. Mm -hmm. But I write based on what I hope is honest, unemotional examination of facts, assessment of those facts, and then coming to reasoned conclusions. Consequently, I write what I write. Now, here's the problem. Having a conversation such as we are having without my having to feel threatened is a rare, a very rare experience. I said to somebody the other day, I have had this conversation, this kind of conversation, maybe with four different people over the past two, maybe three years. You see, I have family members who have gone at me determined that I'm crazy. They have nothing to do with me. So the point is, yes, we need to do what you're describing. The challenge is, how do we make it happen? And I just, at this point, don't see the level of commitment and understanding of the need to make it happen. Now, we have to keep working at it, but uh, as my pastor says, I, I struggle to see hope, but I do see it. Amen. Amen. Yeah, well said, Carl. And, and Carl, I think that um, uh, to lead that back to your pastor for a minute, um, for those of uh, those of our listeners out there, um, Rob has been engaged in some um, some YouTube. He's got his own YouTube channel there, and he was just so faithful in um, daily daily words of hope for us during the pandemic. And Rob, please tell us a, a little bit about that. That's a part of your story, brother. But how many days did you go with that? So so a couple of days after the lockdowns began. I found myself wanting to do something like Carl said, like, it's great. Like, but, but who's going to do something. Mm -hmm. And I, I live in this weird world where if I say, well, somebody better do something about that. That's me realizing it needs to be me. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that what I needed most was hope. I needed to see hope in the midst of this hopeless situation. And so every day, for 215 days. So until the day the church opened back up, I came to my office. I put the robe on. I don't try to pretend I'm not a pastor in these videos. I mean, you can tell. I'm wearing my faith on my sleeves for real. Uh, and that's okay. It's not for just Christians. It's for everybody. But people need to know who I am. And uh, I just offered a message of hope. Sometimes there were stories from my life. Sometimes I tried to sing a song. Sometimes I showed a picture, but um, that's what's really important, I think, is, you know, to remind ourselves that hope still exists. And that's not an easy thing to do. And there are many days where I think those videos were for me more than for the people I sent them out to. And David lives in my neighborhood. My Reverend Blackman lives in my neighborhood. And that wasn't enough for me. So I... Uh, got an eight foot long sign to put in my yard that's been there since the pandemic began 
that just says hope lives. And I didn't realize how important that message would be as the rest of this year has gone on. That was there as a pandemic response, but I still see it there as a response to lots of things, that hope is indeed present, and it always is. Amen, Rob. Amen. You know, you both, um, you both, I think, exemplify for us, what can we be doing? Well, Carl, you're writing a column. You're writing a regular column. That's what you're doing. And Rob, you've been uh, reminding us of hope, and that's what you're doing. So um, be doers of the word, right? I mean, you're both doing that. So keep, keep doing. Um, friends, let's do this and move to our, our, our final thought, if we could, about peace. Uh, and I think it ties into this idea of you know, justice and freedom and what can we be doing? And I would just love to hear um, maybe a story of peace that, that you have seen this hope that Rob speaks of, but just a, um, a, a place where peace has happened to you or you saw, it, you saw it yourself or witnessed it yourself. Carl, would you mind giving us a, a thought or two about peace and maybe a story about peace? I'm not sure that this will fit. I, in my head and in my heart it fits, but here it is. When I finished my freshman year in college, I went home that summer for the summer and went out looking for a job. I needed a summer job. And there was a contractor who was building several public housing units right in my neighborhood. As I remember it, I know he was white, but it seems to me all of the crew was white. If they went in blacks, they were common laborers. So I went up, found the man in charge and asked about a job. And he asked me, what could I do? I said, well, I can do carpentry. Now here I am 19 years old, black male, back in Camilla, Georgia, same place I described earlier. So he looks at me and he doesn't say, well, you're black, you can't do carpentry, none of that. But he made it clear that he didn't think I could do carpentry. Now, I could have decided this man is not gonna consider me because I'm black, because I'm male, all of that. But instead, I said to him, I tell you what you do. You let me work one day, and if I can't do the job, I'll leave, no hard feelings, no accusations. He put me working with a white carpenter, installing trim on those buildings, and it was my job to take the measurements from the carpenter, mark the board off, cut it, hand it to him. I ended up doing that all summer. Here's my point. I'm convinced that if we want to have peace, part of what we have to do is get away from sending signals to one group that here's another group that we're going to give special treatment to, we're going to protect this and protect that. We're going to really treat people the same. 
allow folk to prepare to take advantage of opportunities. And when they demonstrate that preparation, just give everybody a chance. I was able to do what I did that day and for the summer because my daddy, when I was 13 years old, started taking me on building sites and teaching me carpentry. We don't do that kind of thing very much anymore. It's about, we need quotas for this group. We need special training for this group. On and on it goes. And I think the outcome is the groups that are disadvantaged because of that come away feeling that they have been mistreated and we keep the tension going and the result is a lack of peace. All the way around the barn, but hopefully that comes together to some extent. Carl, I, I really appreciate that, that, that um, you know, we, we, we talk often about our, the influences of our families and our dads and our moms and our aunts and our uncles or grandparents. And your dad, your, your dad modeled it for you. I mean, he just, he just showed you that. And I loved your, your statement about um, that we need to send signals. And, and I, I sort of, I guess I added on to that, but that phrase, we got to send the right signals that, that people need to, um, we got to build up each other with the right signals. We got we to let people know that they're valuable, that, that their life matters um, in, this, in this thing we call community. And I just appreciate your, uh, again, that signal may be a, 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 a billboard in your front, front yard. It might be a column. It might be a word that we speak to somebody um, that wasn't expecting us to speak to them when we, when we passed them by in the street, when we spoke to them um, in, the, in the grocery store line. So I, I really, I just, re, I think that's a great reminder for us is that how are we living this, um, this peace? How are we, you know, we passed the peace in church, a lot of us, right? Or we did that before the pandemic and now we're trying to figure out how to do that safely today. But when we share the peace of Christ with one another, you know, that often is responded to and the peace of Christ be with you. And, and I think that that's a place for us to, that's a signal. And how are we um, sharing that signal beyond the doors of the church in our communities today that people do feel like that they're valued, that they matter, that they're, they're a participant in, in, this, um, in this democracy experiment that we're all trying to make sense of, even as a young country. Yeah, I appreciate that, Carl. And May I add one thing? Please, please. Just quickly. Uh, Hmm. Just that quick. Oh, here, here's the piece about having people understand they have value. My mother, my father, none of my black teachers, nobody in my early life who had influence on me ever gave me the you are a black male sermon. Hmm. Never. So when I joined the Navy, showed up at Officer Candidate School, eight Blacks out of over 200 candidates, not one time did I have the thought, I'm Black, I got to be careful, these guys are better than me, none of that. So I think that's another piece of the puzzle. We, we need to get away from this whole thing of giving people a victim mentality. I thank God that I never got it. And nobody that I have an influence over is going to get it from me. Mm -hmm. Carla, thank you for that. 
I thank you for that. Again, back to how you were cultivated, how the soil was enriched, you know, and how that story has has just blossomed in your in your life for us. And we appreciate you sharing those stories today. Thank you. Rob, um, talk to us about peace, brother. That's that's part of your job description, right? So what's um what's this story of peace you can share with us today? I um I'm part of a very strange generation of people. Uh, I was born, if we think about peace and war in terms of, in terms like that, I was born during peacetime. I grew up during peacetime. Uh, and I graduated from high school. Uh, I turned 18 years old and, and signed up for selective service on September the 9th, uh, 2001. And so I was, I was you know how you have to do to get ready for the draft. And I've only known peace my whole life, peacetime. You sign that piece of paper, you send that in, and then what happens a couple of days later changes everything. Mm -hmm. To now, uh, I think we're getting pretty close to a time where I've lived longer with my country at war than I've lived with my country not at war. And that's a strange place to be in. And as I take a step back and, and look at, you know, what was it like to, to live during peacetime, I think I've come to the conclusion that even I don't have a clear perception of what peace really is. That just not fighting each other, that's not peace. Like peace is, is bigger than that. But I worry about the, I served teenagers for a lot of years. And eventually, after 10 years of being a youth minister, uh, all of my students were born after 9-11. So I had students who knew nothing but uh, their own country being at war. And it makes me wonder how much more difficult is it, it, is it for us to reach out toward peace and to march toward peace or to wage peace, however you want to say it, uh, if we can't picture what that looks like. So I think my responsibility, uh, you say, you know, you're a preacher, that's your peace is your deal. It's uh, part of your job description. I think part of my responsibility as a human being, not just as a pastor, is to paint a picture of what peace really looks like so that we have something to reach toward. And the picture I'm painting uh, or trying to is wider than the ones I was taught. Mm -hmm. I think peace is people being able to communicate. I think peace is people being able to forgive. I think peace requires reconciliation. I think all of these things that are hard are the bedrocks of what peace is. We think about peace and we think about it being easy. That like we have this inner peace and it's simple and easy and we're just calm. That's not, sure. not what it is. It's something worth fighting for. Amen, amen. Yeah, great, great image of that, of that peace. It's, you know, what, what's wrong with ideals today, right? Y'all, I think that there, there's certainly, we have to live in realistic and pragmatic ways, but. I think we need those ideals and we need those, um, those picture painters, Rob, um, to help us envision that, to see what that would look like. And um, yeah, so keep it up, keep up the great work you're doing with um, painting that picture for all of us, Rob, and certainly for the folks in your community at First Baptist and all the folks that 
you um you connect with here in this community um friends it's been a, a great uh conversation it's uh it's what we all anticipate in this time of recording i want to give us all a chance to share any any um last remarks or just um nuggets that you want to pass along to our listeners today if we could start with um lisa for me if you could lisa sure um I want to go back to Carl's statement about helping people see that they have value. I think that um, is probably um, the most important thing that um, I would want to emphasize today. I think that has to start younger and younger and younger. Um, and I think that that does pro produce peace when people see that they're, they have value in what they do and they, um, that should be cultivated um, where they are as opposed to imposing something on them that makes them have value, but they should, they should see within themselves that they have value. And I think that's a message that can't come soon enough as we work with um, little ones and young ones. And um, we can't wait until they become adults to help them see that they have value. Yeah, well said, thank you, Lisa. Um, Justin, how about um, sharing any other thoughts for us as we uh, wrap up today? So the overall message from that I heard today, if there was like a, a just a quick short statement, it's treat people like people. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems to be like the, the crux of everything that's been said. If we just treat people like people, then a lot of the things that we're discussing would almost be a moot point. Um, there's a, I was talking with a friend of mine over the weekend and, and admittedly I stole this from another dad, but I was at the park with my kids and we're hanging out and uh, I was watching two kids kind of get into like a little bit of a verbal like argument over something. They were at a pirate ship debating, you know, who's going to be captain or something like that. And the dad called his, his child over and they had a discussion and I'm going to um, change the last name to McClam just to protect any identities just in case. But he said, hey do you remember what it means to be a mcclam and the boy responded be kind to everyone regardless of who they are he goes i expect you to do that and so then that little boy went and apologized immediately and so i just started thinking about man if we know who we are and we treat people like people we could say who am i and what does that mean and then it just changes the entire way that we view things so that this idea of justice, freedom, and peace means that we treat people like people. Dare I say we love our neighbor as ourself. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like that McClam soil. That's awesome, Justin. Good story there. Carl, any, any, um, any thoughts to leave us with? Nothing more than to thank you for what's being done in this effort. Amen. It means a real ray of hope for me. Because as I said, it is almost impossible in my world to have this kind of civil, thoughtful, productive conversation. So I thank you and I encourage you, stay with it. Yeah. Amen. And stand by for the mail you'll probably get. Amen. That's okay. having me on. <laughs> that's, no, that's okay, Carl. I think, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to offer that. So I appreciate that encouragement and, you know, let's all keep doing this. Let's not just do it over a podcast and over Zoom. Let's do it in, in the real places that we're at, we're at in every day and every day, ordinary life that, 
in those ordinary moments, some extraordinary things can happen. We all believe that. We all, we all live that, I hope. And I hope that this can be another place for us that this just, um, you know, nurtures the soil today for us to have these conversations. Carl, thank you again for being with us. Rob, a closing thought from you. Well, this is a, I'm going to call this a parable, but it's, it's a true story. And I think this goes back to, to all of this together, talking about painting a picture of, of peace and talking about caring for one another and that being what freedom really is. And justice is about treating people as human beings is more than, than just uh, being fair. But what we're trying to do here in this conversation is, is show that to the world, to show that that's possible. And I want to share with you just a quick story about how just seeing something like that can matter. In my neighborhood, I put that sign up. I talked to you about it earlier. Uh, it says, Hope Lives. Big yellow and black sign in my front yard. It's huge, and it's a length of my car. And one day this summer, this little boy comes to my door with a bicycle helmet on, and he is crying, just tears down his shirt. And he says, I've lost my way. I was riding my bike. I'm, I'm away from my home. I live in this neighborhood. I don't know where my mom is. Can you help me? Can you help me? And so I said, well, do you know your phone number? And he said, yes, sir. So I, I let him call his mom and she was on, his, on her way. And I, my girl sat out there with him and consoled him while she came to pick him up. And while I told him, you did all the right things, young man. You did the right thing. Uh, you knew your address. You knew your mom's name. But I asked him, I had to, I said, why this house? Why this house did you come to? And he said, because this is the house that has the hope sign in front of it. If anybody's going to have the hope sign, they're going to be able to help me. I think that's what we're called to do. And that's what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to, to shine that hope sign out there to say, this is real and this exists. And you can come over here and, and, and know that you will be loved and cared for. I hope somebody heard this podcast today and they went, wait a minute, there's Christians that don't believe that God hates everybody? Like, yes, this is accurate. Yes. I hope that changes things for you. Um, this is the first step. Yeah, amen. And there are more to go. For sure. But I think there's gonna come a time if we are hopeful enough and if we are shining that light enough where people will come to the door. Sure. Tear soaked in need, but come to the door. Yeah, because that's where hope is, right? And and friends, I think that's where I hope that um, folks can can just be um, spending time talking about justice, freedom, and peace. And they've listened now. Um, and to our listeners, we thank you for joining us today. We thank the North Carolina Conference of the United Methodist Church. We thank the Cool Spring Downtown District, our friends at Wesley Heights and Hay Street United Methodist Church, and especially to our special guests today. Rob James and Carl Merritt, um, thank you so much for your willingness to be present, to share stories from your heart. And we are Stories from the Center from downtown Fayetteville. Thanks for joining us. Look for us again, y'all, um, on all those places you can find podcasts. Take care and God bless everyone. Be well.